Paul has made it clear that we are of both the spirit and the flesh, and that our spiritual and fleshly natures are constantly struggling. As we noted last week, it's as if we have two dogs fighting within us, and the one we feed the most wins. Now, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's easy to visualize. But if it's an internal struggle, how do we know which dog is actually winning? Well, quite simply, we look on the outside. We look for external signs of what's going on within. And Paul doesn't leave us guessing as to how to read the signs. He clearly labels them as deeds of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And he gives us specific examples of each. He begins with the deeds of the of the flesh, listing for us some that he said should be evident to everyone. We're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, while these deeds of the flesh are probably evident to most of us, we may not fully understand the words used to list them. So let's briefly define each and make sure we do understand what they mean. Paul begins with immorality. The word he used is pornea, from which we get the word pornography. It originally meant intercourse with a prostitute, but came to mean any illicit sexual relationship. When used in conjunction with adultery, it's usually translated fornication and refers specifically to premarital sexual activity. Barclay notes that this was a new virtue that Christianity brought into Roman culture. Unless sexual activity involved another man's wife, they seldom thought of sex as a moral issue. They simply thought of it as a pleasurable activity. And sad to say, that seems to be the prevailing attitude towards sex today. You know, seldom is premarital sex thought of as sin, let alone the sin of fornication. Cohabiting and sexually active couples are usually surprised when I read to them Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, 
For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You know, what society views as acceptable and even as a welcomed expression of love, God views as a sinful deed of the flesh. The next word is impurity. It originally referred to an infected wound, but it came to speak of someone who is unclean with a primary emphasis on the moral character of a person. It refers to filthiness of heart and mind. If someone whose mind is in the gutter, always looking for and finding something unclean, something dirty in everything. Sensuality. The King James Version uses the word lasciviousness. It's a great word, lasciviousness. It originally denoted uh, excess, the lack of restraint, a, a runaway passion for pleasure. The prominent idea is shameless conduct. It pictures someone who dresses or behaves in a way to attract and promote a sexual response or someone who just openly fulfills his or her fleshly lusts. Now, those three deeds of the flesh are usually grouped together and categorized as sexual sins. Now, that is not to suggest that sex itself is a deed of the flesh. Sexual expression within the confines of marriage can be a very spiritual thing. But when distorted by sin, it does become a deed of the flesh. The next two deeds of the flesh originally expressed themselves in pagan worship. Idolatry speaks of service to idols, to false gods. It's the worship of anything men make into a God. One commentator put it this way. He says, it's the work of the flesh in which we create gods in our own image according to our desires, constructing our theology to rationalize and justify the way we want to live. I think that's well said. Sorcery. Pharmakia is obviously a word from which we get pharmacy, sorcery, pharmacy. It denoted the use of drugs in a cultic manner, generally accompanied by incantations or appeals to occult powers, the use of drugs to enhance or stimulate a religious experience, something we read about if we didn't experience in the 70s and the 60s and in that day. Eventually, it came to refer to any form of witchcraft or any attempt to control or compel spiritual powers into doing your bidding. Next, we come to eight deeds of the flesh that are often grouped together as social sins. Deeds of the flesh that negatively affect relationships with others. Enmities comes from the word for enemy. It describes a general hatred for others. It characterizes a person who is usually hostile to others. It's the opposite of love. 
Strife originally had to do with rivalry for a prize. It, it pictures a competitive spirit that leads to contention and quarreling. It's an extremely competitive nature that needs to outdo everyone else. The word translated jealousy is actually zealous, from which we get the word zeal. The King James uses the word emulations. To emulate someone is to want to equal or surpass them. It's excessive zeal to have something that leads to resentment toward those who do have it. Outburst of anger. It's a good way to translate the word thumos. It's an explosive word, thumos. And it's an explosive anger, an uncontrolled expression of a hot temper. It's losing control. It's blowing up. It's usually short-lived. It's not long-standing anger, but it's still very damaging. And it's a deed of the flesh. Disputes. Originally referred to the work of a hired man. Then to getting others to do something for you. It, it came to refer to canvassing for political office and what results from it. Arguments that come from a self-seeking ambition, putting someone else down so you look good and gain a following. Dissensions literally means a standing apart, to cut yourself off from others for the wrong reasons from people with whom you should be standing. Factions actually comes from the word we generally translate heresies. The root means simply to choose. It came to mean what was chosen, an opinion, especially a self-willed opinion that led to division and the formation of sects and cliques. It's a grouping of people together who share your opinion so you can stand against another group. Factions are divisions caused by heretical opinions. Envying is the feeling of displeasure caused by the advantage or prosperity of others. And it's a mean word. Euripides called it the greatest of all diseases among men. And the Stoics defined it as grief at someone else's good. It begrudges the fact that someone else has something without really wanting it yourself. It just doesn't want someone else to have it. It's not so much jealousy as embittered. If you're following the King James Version, it slips in murders here. And murder is obviously a deed of the flesh, but it's not in the best manuscripts. Not in this list. The last two focus on drinking. And the first one is simply drunkenness. The word used here is actually the plural form of strong drink. It refers to what happens when too many strong drinks are consumed. And while drinking itself is not categorized as a deed of the flesh, drunkenness is. The last deed of the flesh listed 
is carousing. It originally referred to a band of friends accompanying the victor for a time of celebration after the games, and it invariably included drinking and reveling and rioting. It's group drunkenness under the guise of a celebration, something we often see in public festivals and celebrations and streets with a green stripe down the middle of them. Well, that concludes Paul's list in Galatians. But it's certainly not everything that can be categorized as a deed of the flesh. And so Paul adds, and things like these. Man, is that an open statement. And things like these. Now, he's only mentioned 15 here in our passage in Galatians. But there are other lists of deeds of the flesh in the New Testament. Jesus even created one. When pointing out that what defiles a man comes from within. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And Paul himself had several similar lists to the one he gave us in Galatians. In Romans, he listed the activities of a depraved mind. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. And they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. When writing his first letter to Timothy, Paul gave a list when describing the kind of men who needed the law. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. And in his second letter to Timothy, 
while describing conditions in the last days in which we are living, Paul gave this list of deeds of the flesh. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. Now, I'm sure we could add a few more, but I think you get the idea. These things are not of the Spirit. It's obvious they are deeds of the flesh. And if they can be seen in our life, they expose the dominance of the black dog within. Paul concludes this list in Galatians with a warning. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this wasn't anything new to the Galatians. Paul had warned them about these things before. No doubt when sharing the gospel with them. You see, good preaching is not all good news. It's also bad news. If we don't understand the bad news, the good news will mean nothing to us. And if we aren't given adequate warnings, we'll probably receive some really bad news on Judgment Day. The warning here is that those who practice the things he's just listed will not inherit the kingdom of God. The good news is that he used the word practice. Now, he is not suggesting that if we have a sensual thought, or a moment of jealousy, or get caught up in a dispute that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Graciously and gratefully, our salvation is not that fragile. He's not warning about the danger of isolated lapses and failures. What he is warning us about is the regular practice of such things. A pattern of life. If our life is characterized by such things, it demonstrates who is in control. Which dog we are feeding. God's kingdom is one of godliness and righteousness and things of the spirit. It's not characterized by deeds of the flesh. 
So if our life is characterized by deeds of the flesh, we demonstrate that we are not of the kingdom of God. Now, it's true that we can never earn entrance into the kingdom of God by what we do. But what we do does reveal whether or not we will inherit the kingdom. Now, that's not to say that if it's obvious we are losing most or many of the battles on the spiritual front that we're without hope, we might as well just give up. Anyone can be washed and justified through Christ. Even those who have let the black dog take over again. When writing to the Corinthians, Paul said this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. And as John said when writing to Christians in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will acknowledge the fact that we have been feeding the wrong dog and start feeding the right dog, we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed and be empowered to walk in the Spirit once again. And obviously, if we've not asked Christ to wash us and make us clean, now's the time to do so.